Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Compliance Report International Edition. In this episode, I talk to Mark Rainsford and Jason Sugarman, two of the principals in RS Legal. They are a UK-based investigations firm which focuses on business crime, internal investigations, monitors, and monitoring. They have a strategic alliance with affiliated monitors, and they have a very interesting approach to taking a look at compliance and a corruption compliance and a money laundering compliance in a wide variety of situations from the UK perspective. Both Mark and Jason are barristers in the United Kingdom and bring a wealth of knowledge to their investigative techniques. They investigate such things as business crime, fraud, gross negligence, manslaughter, proceeds of crime, restraint, and receiverships, and also bring strategic solutions. I think you'll find this to be a fascinating interview. This is Tom Fox. The Compliance Report International Edition is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and I'm here with Mark Rainsford and Jason Sugarman. They are principals in the UK firm of RS Legal and legal strategy. And we're going to visit today about the work of RS Legal. I think it's going to be a fascinating episode, and you'll learn a lot about not only their work and the financial crime legal side of things, but also how that work lends itself to moving from uh, simply a detect component of compliance violations to a preventative prompt. So gentlemen, with that somewhat long-winded introduction, thank you very much for taking the time to visit with me today. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. So why don't uh, you just uh, introduce the firm, or I guess why don't you introduce yourselves and then tell how you got together as a firm, and then we'll, from there we'll go into uh, the business of RS Legal. Well, Mark and I are both uh, Queen's Counsel. That's a, a, a senior level of barrister. We've both been in, in very large, complicated fraud cases throughout our careers, Mark, for over 30 years, me, me for over 20 um, and we both work from our respective chambers. I, I'm a barrister at Foundry Chambers, Chambers of Muckle Chowler QC, and I've been here for uh, nearly 12, 12 years. Um, this company comes out of an experience we had in, in, in cases where um, clients were coming to us and we needed a, a, a vehicle to properly represent them. Um, there have been changes to the regulations for barristers. They're now able to uh, start up companies that are regulated by the Bar Standards Board. And RS Legal is, is set up to take advantage of those, those new uh, lack of restrictions on barristers uh, owning and running entities. And we're able to do it uh, in, in conjunction with consultants. Uh, and uh, it's a very exciting time for legal service in this country. We did have a a split profession, where solicitors prepared cases and barristers took them into court. Over the years, the model has become more fluid and changed, and it's quite common these days for large corporates and SMEs and also high net worth individuals to take advice from uh, barristers about uh, the issues that are likely to be determinative of the outcome of the case before they ever get involved in litigation, or to seek strategy advice. 
Traditionally, they would go to a law firm who would then instruct counsel. Uh, now, because of regulatory changes, a client, whether it's a corporate or an individual, can come straight to a Queen's Council and get advice, uh, thus removing a tier of expense. If the advice is you have a good case or there are some remedial measures that you can take, then we advise them to bring in other professionals like law firms to prepare cases or consultants uh, to assist them with formulating uh, strategy. Uh, and therefore they benefit by following the right path from the beginning. So one of the things that intrigued me was you were explaining to me about the use of monitors in the United Kingdom, a relatively new uh, development. But moving from the monitorship sort of backwards to the investigation, that you can actually help companies in a much more proactive way to help them uh, uh, either assess where they may be or if a violation has occurred, to help them move towards remediation and help them negotiate with a regulator should a regulator come knocking. Could you maybe explain that process, how you would use uh, RS Legal in a proactive manner? I mean, both Mark and I have prosecuted very large cases for the Sirius Full Office and um, the uh, <coughs> Customs and Revenue. So we, we know a lot of the players in, in those organizations. In fact, the Sirius Full Office has taken a lot of people that used to be part of the HMRC's prosecution team, including David Green, the director, who used to send us a, a, a lot of work uh, over the years. So we do know the, the main players in this. Uh, DPAs and monitoring is very new, and Geoffrey River, who is a consultant RS Legal, was an advisor after he was a judge to the Sirius Fraud Office, and he assisted the Sirius Fraud Office in setting up um, the rules and regulations surrounding the new DPA legislation. There's only been about four or five um, DPAs in this country, Rolls-Royce being one of them, British Aerospace being another. Uh, and what we found is that the, the monitoring side of that is something that people are getting used to. Um, it isn't as well developed as, as it is in the United States. So we feel there's an opportunity here. Uh, and we've, we've been to a conference very recently where David Green's made it very clear that in a situation where a company's done something wrong, um, cooperation early on and finding a solution by setting up potentially an independent reviewer who then could become a, a monitor at a later stage would be a good way of getting ahead of the curve and making uh, a, a way of finding a solution to the problem rather than having lengthy prosecution proceedings hanging over a company for years. So that's an early stage. We know from what we've read and what we've heard that there is a process that can uh, be gone through. And at a recent conference, the GIR conference, David Green said, we don't do guidance. Yes, it's not right. do guidance on this. He's made that very clear. He's made that very clear. So where, where can a corporate go to for guidance? Well, we've both got experience with that. But obviously, Jeffrey Rivlin, on a very narrow basis, he can uh, advise corporates on deferred prosecution agreements and non-prosecution agreements. And he has probably the, the best knowledge of this process in the country. So we think we're offering an opportunity that isn't there. He's a former judge, so he can't go into court and represent people. But with Mark and I and our experience of cases, we think we offer possibly one of the most innovative solutions to companies in, in that sphere with that concern hanging over them. Rather than having a very long, drawn-out process, they can make inroads early on and find a solution. When it's critical, it can affect shareholder price, it can affect future contracts. So commercially, getting ahead of the sphere 
getting ahead of the problem is, is really what we're, we're about. May I just clarify one thing? Sure. My experience is years and years of prosecuting very large cases for revenue and customs and defending cases against the serious fraud office. <laughs> the uh, issue that may come to mind for people listening to this at the outset is what about privilege? If you bring in an independent reviewer at the beginning, isn't this going to cause uh, problems with legal professional Absolutely. privilege? Because, of course, as a lawyer, you will know that if you provide material to a third party, then uh, privilege is waived. Now, the answer to that is that the client, the corporate client, decides the basis upon which an independent reviewer is instructed. Now, on the one hand, if the independent reviewer, RS Legal Strategy, comes in under the umbrella of the corporate lawyers, then uh, privilege isn't waived right. until the corporate lawyers decide that it will be. On the other hand, you have to bear in mind that the badge of independence may not carry the same weight if you assert legal professional privilege from the outset. If you're uh, intending to engage with law enforcement, you are actually going to have to waive the privilege to a certain extent anyway in the minds of corporate lawyers. But in the actuality, the documents themselves are not, of course, privileged. And they never were, and they never will be. So it's only the legal advice that's privileged, and that will also continue to be privileged, unless you decide to share it with the monitor or the reviewer. So it's not really quite as daunting as it sounds. Jason, one of the things I'm always intrigued about, because it's such a difficult question, is the dis corporate decision to self-disclose, to go to the United States Department of Justice, to go to the Serious Fraud Office. How do you help a client think through that process, understanding there are certain, certainly going to be benefits, but there are going to be costs as well? Uh, that's one of the conundrums in the United States is the decision to self-disclose. It. Is it as big a conundrum in the United Kingdom? Well, it's certainly the SFA director has made it clear that that's very important in their process, Correct. part of the tick boxes that go towards the deferred process agreement. But obviously, you've got to assess what the position is before is to be disclosed. But one thing you can do, and I know this is very common in monitoring, but one thing that we'd be looking at is find, find a, a solution. So, say you find something really awful and vile that obviously has to be disclosed, you can't cover it up, you've got to be, be up in front. You can put in place processes and procedures to make sure that something like that never happens again. You can fire the people responsible, you can put in a whistleblower hotline or, or proper ethics and compliance procedures and show that they're working. So you can demonstrate to law enforcement what you've actually done uh, and make a positive out of a negative, which I think is really important in these cases, uh, where you know everybody is terrified of finding something horrible in a dark corner. It's how you respond to that problem is really, really important. I think that's what the law enforcement is looking for, both in the UK and America, is companies that can actually show that they can clean up their act early on. And that they've identified the issues properly and uh, taken proper remedial measures rather than uh, just ones that appear superficially to be satisfactory. Mark, one of the things you were sharing with me about your uh career as a barrister and a QC is the actual litigation you had done in business crime, fraud, and other types of uh, what we would call white-collar crime in the United States. 
And what I was really intrigued by was how did that experience as a barrister trying cases inform your ability to help a corporate client identify uh, a corruption problem? Well, as a barrister in the United Kingdom, you go to court almost every day of the week, certainly in the first 10 to 15 years. And watching trials unfold uh, in many different cases, you realize that just like in every other walk of life, uh, legal problems follow patterns. And therefore, you're able to predict with some degree of reliability the way that a case is likely to unfold if you follow path A, B, C, D, etc., and to predict the outcome and therefore advise people about the best strategy for them to approach right from the outset. And that applies as much to bribery and corruption. And I've done many trials, uh, bribery and corruption trials, uh, on both sides, prosecuting and defending, of up to nine months in length, and watched and learned over years and years, decades, uh, to be able to identify the pattern and address the problem accordingly. As also in part of your uh, uh, work before you farmed, formed RS Legal, you did internal investigations literally across the globe. And could you explain how doing those internal investigations has also informed the work of RS Legal? Well, look, I mean, I, when you say internal investigations, I did a very big review of a very big case for Customs and Revenue for Operation Europe. It's, uh, when David Green was head of Customs, Customs and Revenue's prosecutions at that time. Uh, and we were allowed to look at the entire case and come up with a strategy, a case strategy for um, it being pursued and ended up with about 28 convictions from that one case. It was the biggest customs prosecution ever prosecuted. And we did things that had never been done before. We extradited somebody from Dubai. We got evidence of banking and telephones in Dubai. Uh, we found material in Pakistan, in Hong Kong. There was a, a potential link with um, terrorism in, other countries. And lots of things were coming out of that case that uh, we'd never seen before. So the experience I gained from those kinds of investigations was being in at a very early stage before things had solidified. So we could actually make a difference to the shape and the structure of the case. We could focus on what was important, what mattered, uh, and come up with a coherent case plan and case strategy moving forward, which saved time and money. And we had the accuracy of knowing our case really well, so that when it went to court, were able to explain things really well and identify what mattered. Um, and that, that was a really important process for me. In my case, a global uh, 500, Fortune 500 company that also operated in Europe asked whether I'd be able to give them a steer if they used their own in-house lawyers to get the facts on the table before instructing a magic circle firm uh, What's a magic circle firm? Uh, there are an elite small number of uh, large law firms that operate in the city of London okay. and globally, and uh, they tend to be uh, the biggest but also the most prestigious firms that operate in London. It's not always the biggest. Uh, they asked whether I would review the problem for them. I didn't undertake the internal investigation because it was based in 74 different countries. But what I did do is give them a roadmap of what their lawyers should do 
point out that their own in-house lawyers, even where they have had no contact with any of the people suspected of wrongdoing, do not necessarily carry the badge of independence that would be associated with a corporate law firm, but equally their own corporate law firm may not carry a particularly weighty badge of independence. We overcame the problem by them agreeing that should they actually have a real problem to contend with, they would allow me to choose the law firm that uh, dealt with the problem for them. After a number of weeks of getting the facts on the table and the whole problem arose from a whistleblower hotline, it was quite obvious that they didn't have a problem to deal with. I was able, fortunately for them, to write an opinion saying that they didn't have a problem which they could put on file, and in the event that they have a corruption-related or bribery-related problem in the future, when they're asked that inevitable question, have you had a problem like this before, and how did you deal with it, they can show the Law Enforcement Authority my opinion, and it'll show that they took it very seriously indeed, and that they also had a very good look at their systems of controls and kicked the tires in the way that affiliated monitors would do in America. Well, that's an excellent entree into uh, what I wanted to turn to next, which is the strategic alliance with affiliated monitors. I recently had the privilege to visit with Vin uh, DeCiani uh, at Affiliated Monitors, where he talked about uh, the strategic alliance, what he hoped affiliated monitors could bring to his side of the equation. And I really wanted to ask you guys, how, um, first of all, what are you going to bring to this strategic strategic alliance, but also what does it, the combined weight of both affiliated monitors and RS Legal, what does that allow you to provide? Well, I think it's innovative. I think monitoring is, is coming to the United Kingdom. We know it's, it's coming already as part of what the SFO are doing. It could come in, in other areas. We're hearing other, other government agencies are interested in it and, and corporates are interested in it. Um, and we think affiliated monitors have a long history huge integrity and uh, are well regarded in that sphere that begins since 2004. They see our company, they like the, the team here in London, they like working with them, they've met Jeffrey Rivlin, uh, they've met other, other people in the team, and they see a whole area where we can work closely together. Um, at, at the moment, our, our, our parliamentary system's undergoing all sorts of issues following the Weinstein trial, uh, and, and there's been a whole, a whole number of senior politicians calling out at the moment for some form of independent person, or, or they're not using the word monitor, but they're certainly coming up with that to deal with the scandal that has, has engulfed Parliament this week. So we believe we are ahead of, ahead of the game, and we offer something unique. We, we spent a lot of time in Boston discussing monitoring what it means. Uh, we've looked at some of the case studies that Vin and his team have been working on. And we, we firmly believe that RS Legal is going to be, be able to be at the, the forefront uh, of, of uh, monitoring in the United Kingdom. I mean, what happened with Weinstein and the issue here, whether it's a trial or a trial, we don't know. But what, what we're concerned with in this country, certainly as far as what's going on in Parliament at the moment, is finding a solution to the problem where people do not feel exposed. It's not right that there are people out there that for many years have sat with an issue or a concern and haven't had a proper structure and strategy to deal with that problem. And it's not right in, in a parliamentary democracy for this to be going on. Uh, and what I would like to see is, is, is monitoring, independent monitoring, reviewing 
bringing in senior people from the legal profession, key students such as Mark and I, former judges such as Jeffrey River, to play a part in this. We believe that barristers as independent, barristers, an independent barrister was always the solution to uh, a, a situation where somebody got into trouble. They always end up being looked after, being represented by a barrister in court when things went wrong. That same skill of being able to identify what matters, present it in, in, a, in a favourable light, and find a solution to the problem is what barristers' training is all about. Uh, and I think that's why RS Legal, being innovative in that sphere, uh, being a barrister-led model, uh, is, is a brilliant fit with what RS Legal uh, and Bin's organisation, Affiliated Monitors, have achieved uh, over, over the past. We have Don Stern, Managing Director for Affiliated in London recently. We did a, a number of meetings with him uh, involving all sorts of, of law firms and um, uh, senior regulators that we met together. Uh, and we think there's a real opportunity for monitoring to be much more widespread in this, in this country and used by companies not only when things go wrong, but to prevent things going wrong in the future. So that the directors of these companies don't find themselves in a difficult situation and having to face potentially a criminal trial. This is a way of ensuring that companies run properly and that the directors can be sure that procedures and compliance uh, ideas are put forward and actually work, that we seem to work in that environment and aren't, aren't just lip service to, to cover a problem. They're actually part of that corporate's identity and understanding of the problem going forward rather than finding some, some solution that actually doesn't deliver. Could I just pick up? Absolutely. Uh, as far as what each entity brings to the party, if you imagine a pyramid, if there's a, a company in America that has a global problem, then affiliated monitors are ideal to deal uh, with the issue as a starting point. And they can provide the entire pyramid for the problem, working with uh, it, its partners. Uh, except in Europe, of course, where uh, the legal framework and the people involved are different. Uh, RS legal strategy have relationships with law enforcement going back, as I've said, decades. Uh, we can advise on how to structure someone's case so as best to present it. Uh, they can have all their skittles in a row and we will be part of that pyramid uh, covering Europe and in particular the uh, England and Wales uh, but we'll be working in collaboration with affiliated monitors who form a much bigger part of that pyramid and uh, we're a perfect fit when it comes to covering Europe. And that was actually going to be the, the sort of next segue is from where I sit. It seems to me that RS Legal is really poised to help provide these services on a continental-wide basis. We obviously had uh, some new French legislation come in, uh, Spain a little bit earlier than that. I think uh, the German authorities may actually be waking up a little bit more. And so uh, perhaps uh, Dutch or a little bit more advanced, Sweden as well. But we've seen several large... Um, and a corruption enforcement actions on an international basis. And one of the things that really intrigued me about this strategic alliance was I saw that with the combined uh, gravitas of both companies, you could provide this to, to companies that uh, are not necessarily domicile but have operations certainly outside of the United Kingdom and bring these strategies and techniques that you've been using these years 
to a much wider audience of corporate clients. Would that be a fair assessment? Yes, that's. Uh, I've worked in Dubai. I remember the DFIC over there. Uh, I have clients over there. We both have had experience of international clients asking us for strategic advice. We both represented a, a very large Hong Kong uh, individual who had a very big organization in Hong Kong, and we managed to secure an acquittal for, for him, but that was using our strategy uh, from a very early stage. Britain may be uh, relatively new to monitoring, uh, but we've been leading the field in mutual legal assistance for years and years and collaborating with overseas law enforcement authorities and when defending, collaborating with overseas organisations and dealing with global problems in a litigation context. Uh, so, uh, again, working uh, closely with affiliated monitors we should be able to cover the entire globe. So let me tell you why I think that is so important. Uh, the United States Department of Justice and Securities and Exchange Commission over the past five years have worked very hard and diligently to develop relationships with prosecutors literally across the globe in the area of anti-corruption or corruption or, or bribery. And they've had uh, workshops, they've had uh, uh, seminars, uh, they've uh, done a lot of work to create these relationships. Part of it is to obviously have mutual assistance and gain uh, information back and forth, but it's also to create a network of like-minded individuals who will pick up the phone and call and say, this, this has come up on our radar, you want to look at this company. And you guys having those relationships with uh, international law enforcement really, I think, is a great boon to a corporation who, who could be in 100 countries or 50 countries or Coca-Cola's in 219 countries. Uh, literally across the globe. So that's really where I see uh, international anti-corruption prosecution going, and if prosecution is going that way, the defense needs to be ready to do that too. Indeed, they do. Uh, some people listening may be thinking, well, this company is a startup. Well, Jason's already said he's in chambers in London, so am I at 33 Chancery Lane. And uh, in that capacity, I go back years of dealing with issues like this, global issues concerning corruption, bribery, money laundering, and Jason similarly in his chambers. So don't be beguiled by thinking it's a startup. Well, uh, that's, no, but let's, let's follow that thread because I find that intriguing and my story is much the same. I was a, a trial lawyer, then I went in-house. Uh, I took a general counsel position at a company that was under a deferred prosecution agreement and was forced to learn FCPA uh, from that experience. So I can't say that I had a master plan to get to where I was, yet it was my kind of body of work that led me and then now to the position where I uh, can do the work I do in terms of nuts and bolts compliance. So I absolutely believe that taking that body of work, that body of experience, and using it but in a new and innovative way, that's really the startup. That's the uh, technique. That's the disruption, if you were. To the legal profession that I find so fascinating, and that's why I love compliance, because it's taking people, the seniority of the people in this room that I, I don't apologize for yet, we're using it in a new and different way that I think benefits corporations going forward. So, absolutely. Um, well, I told you earlier, Tom, my first experience was litigating in America when uh, I was 19 from my family's business in Boise, Idaho, where a little English company managed to sue Simplot Corporation successfully and, 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 and win, a, win, a, win a case on intellectual property. 
So I think the American system has been fantastic. I've seen it close up, and it inspired me to become a trial lawyer barrister in this country. And that was a multidisciplinary team yes. operating effectively, bringing in uh, compliance organisations such as yourself uh, and other disciplines. And that's really what I find so fascinating, frankly, about arts legal strategy, is you're taking something that... Uh, most trialers are very familiar with a trial, uh, financial fraud or other business crime. You have uh, obviously done internal investigations, but you've taken that a step further and said, what, how can we take those lessons and apply them proactively to help companies uh, certainly negotiate with the regulators, but more importantly, in my mind, which is stop a problem from becoming a legal violation before you get to that point. And that's where I see uh, chambers going forward. I see law firms going forward. And hopefully compliance functionaries uh, and compliance departments will go forward as well. So that's why I'm so excited about this kind of service. Well, an early solution for a client is the ultimate goal. And uh, all of us in the room know you get a real kick out of achieving something as quickly as humanly possible. And it's effective on behalf of the client. The longer investigation goes on, the more problems arise and finding a solution solves the problem. Is, is what everybody must be aiming for. So unfortunately, we're near the end of our time, um, but I've been talking with uh, Jason Sugarman and Mark Rainsford of RS Legal Strategy. Uh, the website is rslegalstrategy.co.uk, and they've got lots of great information. Um, gentlemen, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to visit with me today. Tom Fox, I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Compliance Report International Edition. If you listen to this podcast on iTunes, I would greatly appreciate it if you would rate our podcast as it would help in our rankings and help get the word out about the only podcast which focuses on the international aspects of compliance. I hope you'll join us again next week when we will be back with another episode of Compliance Man. This is Tom Fox. The Compliance Report International Edition is a part of the Compliance Podcast Network. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.